I'm Ron Gacious, and I am going to serve as a temporary chair to get our meeting started. This is the City of Lawrence, Kansas Affordable Housing Advisory Board, and today is our May meeting, uh, and it's 11.01 um, by my clock. Uh, my name is Ron Gacious, and I am the uh, Chamber's nominee to the advisory board, um, uh, just starting my fourth year on the board and had served the previous two years as chair, which is why I've been uh, asked if I would sit in and, and help start this meeting. Um, I don't have a list of board members in front of me. Does one of the staff have a list of board members and could call names to do a roll call for us? You want me to do that? Yes, we can do that for you. Um, do you have it in front of you, Leah? I do. Okay. Okay, uh, Cole Brown, Rebecca Buford, present, Ron Gacious, present, Christina Gentry, present, um, Edith informed us she would be absent, Thomas Howe, in attendance, uh, Paul Newsom. Dana Ortiz. Here. Shannon Owry. Here. Uh, Shannon Reed will be absent. Uh, looks like Monty. Monty. Hi, welcome. I made it. <laughs> he made it. I made it here. <laughs> Yay. Uh, Sarah Waters. Here. And Erica Zimmerman. Here. My power grab is over. You're back. <laughs> Well, I got excused <laughs> for my other meeting. So, um, give me a second here. I'm looking to pull up the agenda. because I, I think that the next step, um, Chair, would be probably to read our, our uh, information about the meeting. So if you want me to go ahead and do that while you kind of yeah, get please. settled in. <laughs> Please do, thank you. Okay, sure. Um, this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute yourself if, you, if and when you want to speak. In some cases, we may be able to mute or unmute people as needed just to minimize the distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening to the meeting remotely. You can turn your video camera on or off by clicking the video icon in the menu. For purposes of the public meeting, when you are participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you are not participating in the meeting, it is okay to turn your video off. You'll be able to listen to the meeting still while your video is off. You'll just have to remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating will help make sure that the active meeting participants can be seen on the screen. In some cases, we also will be able to turn people's video on and off, so if they are not act actively participating, we can avoid distraction during the meeting. You can always turn your video back on. If you are participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. 
For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker. Gallery view will let you see all participants. Board members and city staff members, remember to state your name and title each time you speak. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on the board members individually to provide their vote. Mr. Chair, you will then need to announce whether or not the motion carried and also the count of the vote. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom right hand corner of their screen. For those calling in by phone, you can dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in, in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those without access to technology options. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols, and the regular three-minute time limit will apply. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Sorry, everyone, for Monty Stoke up here. Sorry for being a little bit late. I had another meeting that kind of ran over with the um, chancellor and the lieutenant governor, so I couldn't just walk out <laughs> in this case. So um, anyway, I finally made it. I think we are ready for open for public comment as I look at the agenda. Do we have anyone uh, that has a public comment in this open period at the moment. Okay. I am seeing nobody with their hand raised and we also do not have anyone here in the commission room. Okay. All right. Then seeing that when I close the public comments, um, we would have the next item would be to approve the minutes of the April 12th, 2021 meeting. Are there any comments on the minutes? Ron? Mr. Chairman, Ron Gacious, uh, Chamber nominee. Uh, I move adoption of the April minutes. Thank you, Ron. Mr. Chair, Thomas Howe, or, uh, McGrew, uh, Lawrence Border Realtors. Uh, I second that motion. Excellent. So we have a motion to approve the minutes and a second. Is there any comment before we call a vote? Seeing none, I'm going to call the vote. Christina Gentry. I approve. Uh, Rebecca Buford. Approve. Shannon Ori. Approve. <laughs> Thank you. Ron Gacious. Uh, approved. Sarah Waters. Approve. Erica Zimmerman. Approve. Thomas Howe. Aye. Dana Ortiz. Approve. Okay. I believe that's everyone that's in attendance. Is that correct? Okay. Motion passes 8-0 to approve the minutes. Um, did we introduce Leah? Has that been done? I don't see that as an agenda item, but it appears to me that we should do that. 
We have not yet, but <laughs> yes, um, we we tried to introduce her at your last meeting before she officially started, but her uh, headset batteries died before she would have a chance to say hello to you guys. So yes, uh, we have Leah here. Um, she'll be she'll be running the the show here from here on out. But yes. so this is just a, te a a last run for you running the show. Then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> somebody's got a T-shirt to run the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> Leah, would you like to introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background? I know maybe we didn't prepare you for this, but I'm sure you could do that. Sure. Good morning, friends. I'm Leah Roslin, and um, I believe this is going in my third week in this new role, and I'm really um, excited to be here and to be working with all of you. Um, I have been working in the community in health and human services for the past four years um, at the United Way of Douglas County, but before that I had a career in Southern California in housing and human services for about 18 years. Um, so again, I'm really excited to be here and doing this work with all of you, and um, I'm feeling really positive about the progress that we'll be able to make together. And thank you all so much for your service to our community through your service on this board. Well, thank you. Uh, we're all looking forward to getting this Monty Soak Up Chair. Uh, looking forward to getting to know you better and uh, working with you over the next couple of years. So, um, welcome aboard. Thank you. All right. Um, moving on to item C, agenda items, Kansas Open Meetings Act and Open Records Act refresher, I believe that's a staff update. Always a treat. Good morning, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. I will share my screen here and just give you a quick refresher on the Kansas Open Meetings Act and the Kansas Open Records Act that we have here. So bear with me one moment. I will get the share to go here. I think that's working correctly. All right. Well, the principle to the Kansas Open Meetings Act is that it's it's the kind of doing the public business. So the public has a right to know those information and it's essential for an effective and functioning democratic process. So the purpose of COMA, as you can kind of see on the screen here, is to be you know, declare informal electorate and also to make sure it's a very transparent in the facts of what's going on behind the government and those items going through it. So we're going to go into a little bit of the details to that one. COMA applies when the body involved is a covered entity and the Affordable Housing Advisory Board qualifies as a covered entity since it is doing work for the city and there is a meeting. And the key with that one is that it has to be a meeting and the covered entity has to be applied. So in those instances to all legislative and administrative bodies, which is what the Affordable Housing Advisory Board is, it does go into those divisions and COMA does apply. And also in the case of in which you receive and expend parts of public funds, which is uh, clearly what Affordable Housing Advisory Board does with the NOFAs and the Housing Trust Fund items. So for a meeting to occur, three conditions must be met. The first is a gathering of the majority of the board members an interactive communication in person by telephone or any other medium, as in the case of today's meeting Zoom under the emergency orders that we have in place, and the discussion of the business and the affairs of the body have to occur. So those three items must be present for a meeting to qualify as an open meeting, or excuse me, as a meeting. 
that in, in the case of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board, for the 13 members that stage the board, a quorum is a membership of seven present. Interactive communication is the key to this portion of the law. It applies in a couple of different instances here. Um, it clearly applies when members are physical presence. It also can include telephone calls, conference calls, video conferencing, and those items. It can also occur on social media. There has been a recent finding by the Kansas Attorney General that if members are uh, posting on, in this case, it was on Facebook in a virtually simultaneous fashion without providing a meeting and a notice agenda, that it would qualify as that item. And in that instance, the posts were found to violate coma. So it's kind of keep in mind is that even, even if it's not a Zoom or FaceTime or a conference call, it can constitute an open meeting depending upon how many people are participating and the speed of which the communication is occurring. The other part of it was that they were discussing the business of the body. And so social gatherings, as you can see, are not subject to coma as long as there is no discussion of the business of the body. The conferences are also maybe attended by more members as long as the specific business of the body is not discussed and is not by a majority of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. So it's not necessarily something we kind of run into, but something we do want to let you all know is that a conference is a potential item of that one. So if there is some education and learning opportunities that do pop up, we would double check that and be aware of those things. Uh, kind of, yeah, I've already kind of mentioned a little bit about electronic communication, but it, you know, does not, you know, the fact that you send an email, you know, to somebody does not necessarily constitute, but it's when a majority of the body uses the communication to engage in the interactive discussions, that may rise to a coma issue. You'll see a, a lot of times is the reply all button will be the, the culprit in these instances where someone will reply all and the whole board will be copied and that'll be a coma violation in the instance there. You'll also see generally from staff is that we structure the emails in ways that that reply all is not available to you. So we kind of make that, a, kind of remove that when possible in the instance. But you know the key is if it's a large communication of that item, it goes to the whole board, that can be a coma violation. And this is the, the why I kind of alluded to earlier is that simultaneous Facebook posts concerning the business of the board can now constitute a coma violation. And the Kansas Attorney General had found that out during uh, March of 2020 is when that kind of came out. Um, you know, about a recent governing body vote was engaged in a meeting, even though it was just merely a discussion that was occurring on a social media platform. So something to kind of keep in mind as you're seeing Facebook posts and those other things coming through. Is it always important that members are encouraged to act with caution, of course, when those instances do come up and do keep in mind that, you know, when you are posting, it may not seem like there is a, a quorum, but to be aware that there is a potential that could be out there in the open. Uh, you know, just mentioned about the emails things there, you know, to avoid the reply all function. Uh, best infographic on the slide right there. So. Uh, a serial meeting is a different of, a bit of a thing. It's serial or interactive communications of less than a majority that's permitted under coma, but it can still constitute a coma violation because collectively it could involve a majority of the membership of the body. They share a common topic in discussion and they're intended for the participants to reach an agreement on a matter. You typically see this with, you know, governing bodies and those kind of things, but it is possible and same as the Affordable Housing Advisory Board, given some of your roles and functions that you have with that one. So a serial meeting is if, you know, it, it's kind of the old telephone game. If party A talks to party B and tells them an item, and then party B talks to party C and relays that item on, and it goes down the line a couple more times, 
that is a serial meeting. So again, just to kind of keep that in mind, it is the body is involved as a covered entity, which the Affordable Housing Advisory Board is, and there is a meeting, which is a majority of the members, the interactive communication, and they're discussing the business of the body. So to keep that in mind for an open meeting deck, those three components must be in play. All Jeff, meetings. can you take a question? Oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, Ron Gacious, um, Chamber Representative. Um, Back on your serial, like email communications, um, at the top it says a series of interactive communications of less than a majority is not permitted under coma. But people communicate one-on-one -on -one back and forth all the time, correct? Jeff Craig Planning and Development Services, that is correct. It's The key is when you start roping in more parties and it becomes that game of, of telephone, if you will, where it's... Yeah. So, the only so, example I'll use is from, from our city attorney's office. If party A informs party B they're going to vote a certain way, and then party B informs party C that I'm voting this way and party A is voting that way, then that becomes a serial meeting. Yeah, it's, 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 when, it's when the full chain of participation includes a majority of the membership of the body. That is but correct. If there, but if there were three of 13 people from Ahab communicating back and forth on email and it stayed within that small group, that would be all right? It can be. We may want to declare that as ex parte communication sometimes because it could affect the vote or be of an item of instance in those things. But, you know, a communication between the chair and the vice chair about, you know, how the, uh, you know, the ordering of an agenda doesn't necessarily rise to the level. But if it gets down to how I'm going to take a vote or how I view this particular applicant, that is when it starts to get into some very rocky territory in the way that the meetings work. So it's. We always describe it in, in many ways, you know, it's the difference between the action the board is taking and just the, the housekeeping of the board to make sure the meeting is orderly and run is really kind of those key items to watch for. Okay, thank you. There we go. I think I was here, so I'll just I'll pick right back up from there. Uh, all meetings of a covered entity must be open to the public and proper notice must be given. And that's what we do with, the, with your agendas and through the iCompass website and kind of the links and available information. So we always post the agendas on iCompass about a week ahead of time of the meeting. That way the notice for your meeting is there. We also put on your agenda for the next three months of meetings at the bottom of it. So if you ever want to kind of keep up on the calendar at the end of your agenda every month, we post the next three months worth of meeting dates so people are aware of those items. Um, meetings must be accessible and held in general public places, and that is why Leah and Danny are in the city commission room. So if someone would like to participate, they can go to the city commission room and have those items. That's uh, also why in, uh, before COVID, we would also have your meetings in the city commission rooms, not just for the telecommunications and the video presence, but because it has to be open and to the public. Um, and that way that would be conducted so that the public can observe the proceedings of the meetings. Notice of the date, time, and place of any meetings, regular or special. And so we do kind of go through those and we do, you know, meet those with your agenda posting requirements. And we do keep those, we truly try to keep tabs on posting those about a week ahead of time of the meeting. COVID is not required that notice be given within any particular time frame, but we do strive to always post about a week ahead of time. And notice must be, or excuse me, notice must first be requested before bodies required or provided. But what we typically do is we will post the agendas online to kind of make that available. So 
not necessarily something we run into. We just like to do that as a good practice. Um, coma also does not require an agenda be created, but if it is created and one does exist, we have to make it public and available, which we do through iCompass. And we also typically will print them out and have them available in the room for each week. Um, executive sessions are something you can have in some boards. The Affordable Housing Advisory Board doesn't typically recess into executive sessions, and we wouldn't anticipate you to have that as a, as a meeting item. And if it does go down that course, we would involve the city attorney's office to help us make those details and go through those processes. So it is something that's there, but not something that is used for AHAB. So this is the part where I have to sound a little stern, and I will apologize. Is there possible ramifications of the coma violations? Um, the attorney general, the district attorneys investigate for those violations and they do kind of go through those compliance and it's based on what's called a preponderance of evidence and then if a violation is found, the AG can enter into a consent order with the agencies to enforce those items, which we have seen in some other municipalities recently. So it's, there are, you know, effects to those coma violations, which is why we try to bring you a refresher every year for those items. They just keep you up to date on the latest trends. The news is on those things and also just a reminder on the protocols as a whole. Consent order may impose civil penalties of up to $250 and require training. Uh, the district attorneys may impose court cost investigation and attorney fees if necessary. It can also result in the invalidation of the board's action or in some instances, the removal from the position. So keep that in mind that one. And as always, th this is just a refresher. It was a very quick refresher at that. So if you have any questions about a Kansas Open Meeting Act or the Open Records Act, please let Leah know and she will reach out to the city attorney's office and we'll be able to get you more specific information on that. Uh, but with that, I would be happy to answer any particular questions I can at least give a try for in the instance. Jeff, Ron Gacious, I have a question. Yes. I'm, I'm coming back to my same question again because, I, because I'm legitimately confused. So if there is a three-person email substantive discussion about an AHAB agenda item, and it does not go outside of three people, but it's a substantive policy discussion, is that an open meetings violation or not? My understanding by the letter of the way Coma had written, it would not constitute that. However, if it was a substantial policy discussion like that, we would advise you to have those at the board as a meeting of the whole. That way all parties are privy to the information and the answers that are provided to that. And it's also transparent to the public. So I don't think it necessarily rises to meet and violate coma, but it may not be as transparent as what we might strive for at AAP. Well, if that's the standard, I've violated it almost every month of the 38 months that I've served on AHAB because I've engaged in outside conversations regarding substantive material that comes before AHAB with many of the other advisory board members. So I you, I, I think I think you were correct when you said no, and you didn't need to add the but we are interpreting things. I, I think I think you fall into the category of stifling speech if you presume to prohibit 
all one-on-one or two-on-one engagements by something less than what constitutes in total stream of the emails, something less than a majority of the advisory board. Now, maybe we should be reporting those conversations as ex parte conversations, and I'm completely uh, willing to do that. I think it would be appropriate, perhaps, if that is the city's rule. But I, I, don't, I just don't see how you can expect that, particularly amongst the nonprofit representatives that are rubbing elbows with each other every day of every week and talking about housing issues all the time, many of those issues overlap. With with what with the discussions of the advisory board, I don't I don't see how you can expect them not to have conversations amongst each other. So and I I think I think that is an an overly broad interpretation of the statutes, and and I thought I was pretty familiar with them. My two cents. And uh, I would just add to that as the convener for the housing, safe and affordable housing plank of the chip. Those meetings, there are many of us who participate, including Danny, um, all the time. And we have conversations about the housing that we need in town all the time. So I don't, I agree with Juan. I, if, If that's the interpretation, I'm not sure those of us in the nonprofits can continue to do this because we talk about it pretty much every meeting I go to. Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services Director. I think that the key distinction is it's it's the something that the board would take action on, not necessarily the topic of itself there. I think that's the key to keep in mind. If it's something that would be coming before the board or something the board will be taking action on is different than it just talking about affordable housing as a topic or, or the chip or those kind of details there, there may be some overlap in the instances there, but the key is to keep in mind is if it's going to be before the board for action or consideration, that is really when you're going to want to keep in mind those coma items. And that's something we see with a lot of our other advisory boards too, is they, they're working in those fields and they have those specific instances. And we just want you to be very conscious about that as probably take a little bit more of a conservative approach to the instances to make sure that we keep everybody on the right side of that rule. Shannon Alry, uh, Housing Authority. Jeff, can you go back to your first couple of slides? Because did you, did you say that one of the items that makes you covered is if you allocate funds? Bear with me one moment and I can pull that back up. Yes, one of the bodies that makes you a covered entity is which is a body that receives or expends and are supported in whole and part by public funds. Okay, well, we don't do that. We make recommendations to the city commission. Correct. Jeff Craig Planning Development Services. But the instance, though, is that recommendations can have some of those instances there. And Danny, correct me if I'm wrong here, but sometimes you do have some funding allocations that can also overlap into CDBG in those instances, I believe. Danny Walters, yeah. And uh, I mean, directly home would be something that, that you guys allocate to. So. 
This is Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. I just wanted to jump in here. So all of the city advisory boards and committees are all covered by the act. So I think that's important to, to note. Um, um, all of those boards um, are covered by the act. So that would include the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. Ms. Monty, soak up chair. I just want to, by way of example, get a clarification. So let's say that we have a NOFA out and we have applications and we have all the board members have received the applications. Let's just hypothetically say I called Sarah to talk about the applications and we talked just one-on-one. -on -one. Would that be okay if I have a single conversation with a single person about some board, about the applications that are in front of the board? Is that an okay conversation? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. My understanding of coma is that would be that would be okay. The okay. question but, would be to watch for the serial meeting to develop. Yes. But if I were to get on a conference call with Sarah, Shannon, and Dana, then we got a problem, right? That would clearly be a violation. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director, probably need to consult the city attorney's office to be right on the instance there, but I believe because it's not a, a majority of, or excuse me, a quorum of the board that may not rise to the same level of it, but it may start to get closer towards a serial meeting potential to be developed. Okay. All right. So what I'm hearing out of that is one key thing to stay in mind is having individual conversations that don't escalate into conversations that involve multiple people on the board involving board business. Okay, so one, other, one other question. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got the floor. Let's say we have, um, you know, our uh, not-for-profit providers that are working together. There's a NOFA out and we have our not-for-profit providers that are, maybe they're working together. Maybe three or four of them are working together on a project to submit into the NOFA for funding. Is it okay for them to meet talking about their submission? It's not, they're not talking about board business or, and they will be recused from voting and even talking about these things. Is that an issue that we need to be concerned about? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. In that instance, no, because it, they would be recusing from the board. And it's also more of a function of their, their work in the sector, not as sitting on the board as an actionable item. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate that clarification. And Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services, if I may. And of course, with all these questions pop up there, you know, do keep in mind, I am not an attorney by trade. But if you have a question about those, we can definitely refer to the city attorney's office to get you definitive information on those instances. Okay. Are there? Any, oh, Ron, I see. Go ahead. I, I I gotta I gotta hit this nail on the head with my hammer one more time. I'm I'm looking at the summary of the Open Meetings Act from prepared by Kansas Legislative Research, and under serial meetings, it says. The attorney general has said serial communications among a majority of a quorum of a public body constitute a meeting if the purpose is to discuss a common topic of business or affairs of that body by the members. A majority of a quorum. So our quorum is seven. 
a majority of a quorum would be four. So serial, uh, serial communications with four or more would be prohibited under the act, but communications with one, two, or three would be allowed. Okay, Smonty, soak up chair. Are there any other questions, clarifications from the board members or staff? All right, I'm looking around the room, seeing that um, we're gonna go on to the next agenda item. We have quick updates, the Kansas Department of Aging and Disability Services Housing and Homeless Summit Summary. This is Danny Walters. Um, I can take this one. Um, there's really not a whole lot to report on this item. We just wanted to make you guys aware of the fact that um, we did have several staff in attendance at this. And I, I believe that there were also a few board members that kind of popped in and out at different times as well. Um, the, the point of it was essentially to, um, to kind of put ourselves in a position to be able to, I guess, move swiftly is the best way to put it on some federal funding that's coming down from the latest uh, stimulus package. So it was uh, put on by KDADS and then facilitated by Wichita State. And there was a lot of breakout groups, a lot of, a lot of discussion, and then I think they're gonna compile kind of all of that information and, and hopefully it will eventually lead us to a, a, a clear roadmap in order to um, really look at how to strategically spend those dollars. So, and if anybody else who was there wants to jump in, um, that's just kind of my general overview of, of what it was. We just wanted to make you aware that, that we've, we've got some representation in there as part of that conversation, so. Ms. Monty Sokup Chair, do we have any other comments on that? Um, I'm this is Monty Sokup Chair. I attended a couple of those little sessions and I uh, thought that was pretty uh, some, some pretty good information. Um, I also wanted to touch on and I think related to the funding associated with this, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I heard Mayor Finkelby uh, commit to um, trying to end homelessness in uh, Lawrence with some of this funding and the built for zero and that. And I would like, uh, how, is that part of this funding that you're talking about? And how do you think that impacts this group's work, if at all? Uh, Danny Walters, uh, Planning and Development Services. I, part of the funding that's coming down is additional home funds. Um, we do not have guidance on those yet in terms of what exactly it can be spent on. Uh, they have indicated, they meaning HUD, has indicated that they would like this to go towards homelessness and homeless act, home, the activities for those that are experiencing homelessness. Um, until we know exactly what we can spend it on, because home is pretty tight in what you can spend the money on. Mm -hmm. So we're not sure really about what the flexibilities might look like with this or exactly what we'll be able to spend it on. 
What I also don't know is if it's going to end up being some kind of application process or if you know, the, the city's gonna go through a process to kind of determine where they would like to see those funds go. So my, I mean, my, my inkling would be if it, if it hits the level of a competitive application, that the AHAB may have some involvement in that recommendation process. Now, the AHAB can certainly weigh in on, you know, that, that's, that's what you're here for. So um, you can weigh in on any potential projects or, or anything like that, that that you would like to see. And we will definitely bring that information to you as soon as we get it. Uh, we just know that we're getting, I think, one, around 1.6 million. And again, what we can do with that, we're not 100% sure yet. So they said guidance should come out in the next few months. So hopefully that answers your question, but that's. Thank you, I appreciate Monte Soak up chair, I appreciate that. Um, I guess my only comment is I hope that, and we'll get, I'll get to you, Rebecca, here in just a second. Um, is that you know if we do end up creating applications or processes that we don't create them in a way that makes it difficult for those you know that have accessibility you know internet accessibility issues or uh you know just don't we, we don't create barriers for the people we're trying to help uh that would be my only hope that we get that money spent and we get it to the people that they need and quickly and without a lot of um, barriers so. Rebecca? Rebecca Buford. Um, I just wanted to ask Danny, what's, what's your plan on, I know you're, it's always a waiting game for HUD rules and what flexibility, you know, if there'll be special flexibilities or not and what, how we interpret those. But when you do get some of that um, priority, um, how are you planning on letting the public know about that process? Danny Walter is planning and development services. That is a discussion that that we haven't had yet. I'm. I mean, we community development most definitely administers the funding for home, but I'm. I am not sure of what the plan is for how that money will be spent. So those are discussions that, that we still have to have. We are still several months out from getting any kind of guidance on it. But, um, but yeah, we will definitely let that information out to the public as soon as we know it. So, And I think it's, it's such a larger community conversation that I, I think that this group will be kind of cued in on that as well as those conversations are happening in the community. So. Okay, good Monty soak up chair. Are there any other comments on this before we move on? Oh, yeah, Shannon. The only thing I'd like to say is um, I think all of us are, are in multiple groups where money's coming to town. And my only sort of policy comment is let's don't create some things that then the following year or the year after we can't support. And that some of the things that we should be thinking of, is there a way to use this one-time money that moves us forward without then creating a huge hole, thereby making all of our jobs much harder um, the following year? 
This is Danny Walters. Thank you, Shannon. That is such an important point. Uh, that is one that, that we've been talking about. The emergency solutions grant rehousing money that's in the community is that this is this is one time funding. And it's great to be able to, you know, support someone in housing with this funding, but then what happens down the road when they need continued support and we don't have this influx of funding. So that's that is and that was something that was covered at the uh, homeless and housing summit as well is not to set a program up for failure because we don't have a plan for sustaining that funding. So definitely conversations that are happening. That's Monty Sokup, Chair. Thank you. Uh, great comment, Shannon. Um, seeing no other comments, we're going to move on to the next. Hi, Monty. Yeah. Uh, board Chair. Hi, I'm sorry. I'm just trying oh. to find my oh, raise hand. <laughs> Hi, uh, Christina Gentry here, subsidized housing rep. Um, I, I also appreciate the conversation, especially as we dive into what has been created by conversations happening in other small groups that are uh, focusing on the issues. Um, I find it also to be, um, you know, HUD being as, re as restrictive as it can be. Um, I also would like to know a little bit of how our influence from some of the conversations that we've had internally, and then also the broader conversations that have been happening in our community as we realize that some of the barriers to um, accessing some funds could be um, having or not having a 501c3 status or um, understanding that we need to have a built-in BIPOC, um, you know, like a board leadership as we talk about priorities for our um, applicants and, and looking forward to moving and shifting in a way that uh, is really focused on equity. So I'm wondering also if, if anyone who was part of that conversation can have a little bit or can share a little bit of the conversation that uh, maybe was something new that you haven't heard HUD speaking on or, or representatives speaking on as it pertains to what we've understood about our community, um, especially as we dive into diversity and equity and inclusion. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm with Monty on how we can prevent um, barriers, but what, what about the barriers that we've understood that existed um, and how can we be influential in making sure that HUD dollars are going to be moving in that effort to sustain those, um, you know, barriers that we understand that exist um, to not exist for this these um, this upcoming funds. So maybe that's not a question; it's more of a comment of, of how we can be influential in making sure that this is still going to be sustainable as far as what we understand sustainable to be today. Thanks, Monty. Soak up, Chair. Thank you, Christina. It's an important uh, subject. We certainly need to pay attention to it. So, uh, are there other? Yeah, Dana. Thank you. Sorry, having Wi-Fi problems at the day center. Um, <laughs> to Christina's point, um, also clear for the board to understand that. Homelessness is defined differently by HUD, and so HUD funding is very narrow, and 60% of the families uh, you're 
after a year that are served by Family Promise do not qualify for some of the HUD funds that might be coming down and that come down routinely, such as ESG funding and such, merely because they might be couch surfing or staying with relatives and friends and doubled up. And so they do not, do not qualify for rapid rehousing and things like that. Um, so there are a lot of, even though the funding dollars might be coming, it's really important and critical to have people at the table that can understand the, the things that are the barriers and understand how we could work around them as a community and really meet folks where they are and understand the, the complexity of the situation. Thank you. Monty Silkup Chair, thank you, Dana. Appreciate that. I'm wondering, uh, you know, the, the city has this enormous task in front of them they're in the county. We're getting, we're going to get this funding and to figure out how to best utilize it and have the greatest impact. Um, I don't know how our group plays into that, but you know, certainly at some point, a discussion about what the greatest needs and where we can have the most impact could come from a lot of the people on this committee. So um, I guess short of having it as a topic for this group, which we could do, I would obviously encourage, you know, our not-for-profit providers to, you know, be in close touch with the city, with Leah and Danny to, so we can, you know, have those conversations and, and try to get that money and go into the right places. So. Yeah, Dana, go ahead. Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. And to Christina's point, also community organizers and such, we need right. to include all voices. Thank you. Monty Stokup Chair, thank you for correcting me, Dana. That is very true. Okay, any other comments before we move on to the next topic? Okay. We are going to move on to the city commission work session on the system of services supporting people experiencing homelessness. Uh, there was a, is a video. Did anybody have comments on that video? Okay, seeing now we're going to move on to the city commission agenda item report. Um, Danny, did you guys have something prepared for this or is this? This is Danny Walters. Um, that actually went with the video. That was okay. just the um, report that accompanied okay. the agenda item that accompanied the video of the meeting. Okay. All right, so are there any comments on those that document and the video? This is Christina Gentry, subsidized housing rep. I wanted to expand or just kind of maybe have a conversation about number one, item number one on the executive third summary um, of the city commission's April 13, 2021 um, agenda item report. So sorry, I'm reading as I'm talking to you. Number one reads city employees interactions with people experiencing homelessness in parks downtown and other areas. So I, I believe maybe the videos talks a little bit and gives a little bit more context about what that item number one uh, represents on this space. Um, I'm just curious about other city employees or other people here in this group maybe who have experiences 
um, being downtown um, and have uh, had some interaction with our homeless or our housing insecure population in parks and downtown and other areas that maybe we can expand upon here in this group. I don't think it's not warrant of a conversation, especially since our city was talking about this uh, and gave a video. If there's maybe some talk or some communication that we could have about um, giving a little bit of the narrative of what that looks like for our city. Um, I would like to have that explore that here if we could. Monty, so good chair. I guess uh, I'm happy to have that conversation. I'm not sure exactly what you're looking for, Christina. <laughs> so I'm not sure how to react to that. No problem. And I understand, you know, we all have different perspectives and I really do appreciate, you know, sometimes having to explain, you know, what it is I'm saying and try to make sure I give context for that reason. Um, I do want to uh, maybe share an experience I had uh, recently downtown. I had my very first meeting with our direct director of equity and inclusion. Um, we were walking and, you know, trying to make sure we had space to, to make a meeting uh, to, to, you know, for most of us, we, we use a public library and use spaces and open spaces to kind of meet with each other and find a space that's on um, a safe turf, you know, that we all recognize to be something that we um, interact with quite often. But the meetings, uh, the meeting places inside of the library were all closed off to the public. And so with that, you know, it makes it very hard and very difficult to kind of interact with the public or make um, any kind of exchange that would be, um, you know, in a way of, of just meeting and trying to see where we could do to improve our community. Um, so the director of equity inclusion night were um, outside in a park bench in front of the library where the bus depot um, interacts and, and, you know, quite often runs. What I did recognize was that we have a population who um, are transient, who are coming to an understanding that there is a almost a fight or a discourse that is is a little bit of an alarming discourse that has to do with property. And um, there was an interaction between two males and a fight broke out and ensued. Um, but what I really listened to in that, that interaction was that there were two people who were arguing over their property. And um, that really kind of resonated with me that we have in all of the community that we have, um, two people who are really just wanting to take ownership of what belongs to them and, and keep, you know, you know, things like their their backpack and full of IDs, social security cards, um, any kind of snacks or any kind of things that would help them maintain throughout the day, water bottles and whatnot, you know. So that with me resonated in how our community um one interacts with our homeless or housing insecure community in a way that almost like polices um, or, or make sure makes it so it's very difficult for a person to hold on to a piece of property that belongs to them because I'll, I'll probably um, more explanation need, needed to be that there was police who came and there's an interaction and the police were called so with that incident it lasted maybe 10 minutes but it was an interaction of just the two people wanting to understand how to keep hold of their own property and then the police were called and, and it was you know um what ensued after that was was to me like felt like a violation of of 
what we how we deal with citizen issues and problems, um, how we could do better with not involving police into these interactions when it really comes down to um, how we can better understand our community by doing it a service to provide counseling and protection and, you know, really a sense of humanitarianism um, and, and having and calling police on those issues really doesn't do that. Um, so um, with that one item, city employees interactions, I just wanted to share mine. Um, because I think that's important to note that we're, what we're trying to do here is give people a sense and give everyone a sense of un having a place to put their things and having a sense of ownership and having a place that they feel safe that they can hold and, and put their things to the side so they can continue on with their day. So, yeah, that was a little bit of um, how I interacted with our downtown um, housing insecure population. Um, and that there were more people who had any kind of similar narratives or similar stories. Um, I think that's really why we, we are moved to be here in this space is to continue to provide um, a sense of, of a, a, a way to someone to call home and, and not have to continuously fight over just the things that um, are, are needed for survival. So um, with that being said, I'll, I'll stop there. Monty Sokup Chair, thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I'm sure that's, uh, you know, all of us, I'm sure when we're downtowns, I know I do, struggle with empathy and then not understanding what, you know, a person that's living on the street, what their life is like. Um, I haven't experienced that, so I don't think I can really truly understand that. And, uh, you know, when you, at one, I always struggle with, you know, at one point you want to help them. And then at the other side, you don't know if there are people that are trying to take advantage of this situation either. Um, so I, I, I certainly had every, you know, my interaction, I guess, with people is, it's always a struggle on, on what to do when, you know, you encounter someone on the street that it's clearly struggling in some way. So um, the other thing I took from your story is, to me, is a need that are to, I don't know if reform is the right word, but certainly train, retrain how our police interact, you know, with people, all people. Um, we're seeing that across the country. You know, we need to have more, in my opinion, at least, they need to be more like social workers and and try to de-escalate situations and resolve them peacefully without hauling people off or or humiliating people or putting them in compromising positions. So certainly that's something that uh, probably outside the realm of this group that certainly we all struggle with. Is there anyone else that has any? Yeah, Thomas. So just a comment on that from my perspective, which is that. Um, it goes to, and the, the you know the phrase has been defund the police, but perhaps more rearrange how the funding works for social services. So the person who came to work with that situation should not have been a law enforcement officer because that's not likely that there was a, a law enforcement violation there. Instead, some form of a counselor or a mediator 
who could help people work through those kind of things. But it's not something that that our society currently has uh, in place. We don't. It's something that we really need to figure out. How do we uh, redirect our tax dollars, our funds to uh, appropriate interactions with populace? whether it's homeless population, I mean, whoever it happens to be. So it is a very large question. It's something we need to address. Uh, I'm not sure that the Affordable Housing Advisory Board addresses it specifically, but it's absolutely a societal issue that we need to fix. Yes, Monty, so good chair. Oh, go ahead, Rebecca. Rebecca Buford um, with Tenants to Homers. I think that um, what we're talking about is supportive service housing in our silo of affordable housing, which is what we need in all sorts of forms, I feel. And I think there's a lot of really good local grassroots discussions and among the grassroots organizations that do this of what what does that look like? And we absolutely don't have enough of those units or of those supports. So I would urge this group as we look at funding moving forward that we really consider those as priorities because there is a, a real gap in, you know, if you don't have have supportive service housing and the counselors and the people who provide those supports in the community working, yeah, your only option is to address homelessness with police action. I don't want to say only, but there aren't a lot of options. Um, and, and I'm not excusing that. There's no reason there should be police action, but we need to create and fund the services that we're that we want to see as an alternative to that. And I think there's a lot of discussion about that and about new funding sources for that. Um, I know the the Lawrence Shelter is really looking at how do we, you know, make shelter a an absolute working temporary emergency shelter, but that we really move people out of there within 30 to 90 days to supportive service housing. And so that's the goal I would focus this group on in that silo of the housing for those that are sometimes hardest to house and, and struggling with some of the, the most obstacles is, is how do we create um, services and interactions that are empowering and, um, as Christina pointed out, give them a place to, you know, allow them to have a place to call home. Um, and, and really, that is different types of units that we don't have enough of. Um, so we're really trying to look at some of this new funding source to create some of those options for people. And, and I think the discussion is, is happening. It just needs to continue at a bigger level. This is Monty Sokup, Chair. Uh, thank you for those comments, Rebecca. You know, next month we have uh, a discussion about our, no, our NOFA and, um, and you know, one of the things that we could do, you know, in the past we have always sent out a NOFA and say we want affordable housing projects, right? You know, we could seriously think about uh, trying to narrow our ask if this is a, you know, if we have a discussion and this board decides that those kind of units are something that we want, we could specifically request, you know, uh, responses to our NOFA to address some of those issues, whether that's the funding we have or the federal funding that's coming or whatever, we could certainly make a statement about that and, a, and an acknowledgement of the need for the specific types of 
services and structures or whatever it is we would need. So I might suggest that people on the board think about that. And uh, at next month, we start having some of those conversations. Shannon? Yeah, Shannon Alry, Housing Authority. Um, one of the things we've had conversations before is separating out a voucher slash service type funding and right. capital um, type requests. And I would just like that to specifically be on the agenda because I think um, it puts those of us who make a request at a disadvantage and uh, doesn't allow us to participate on things that really we're not competing for that it's a very different type of project. This Monty Sokup Chair, I'm just gonna clarify what you said to make sure I understood that correctly. So you're you're asking that we send out, the, the NOFA have two separate categories, one for services and one for housing units or product or whatever, or improvements. And then what I heard, but I didn't hear explicitly hear you say was that if, let's say, for instance, you were submitting on the uh, on the voucher side that you could then, since you would not be competing with the housing products, that you could then sit in on the conversation for the other NOFA responses for the other types of products. Is that what I advice? Is that correct? Clear? Is that what you correct. asked? And and in our last, um, we had a set aside for we're going to put the majority towards capital projects. We had a set aside for services slash voucher type mm -hmm. vehicles, and and I think that's fine. I mean, I I support primarily what we're doing here is trying to get units on the ground, but those are very different things, and and it's almost impossible. We've tried to work that matrix around a million times and try to judge a, a service slash voucher against a capital project, and I think at least the last round, we decided that doesn't really work because right. it's very hard, and, and if we're not going to compare them, we're going to have two separate funding pots of money. Then if somebody on the board isn't in, doesn't have a request in one of them, they shouldn't be excluded from participating in just that one, not one that would have their grant application in it. Monty, so good chair. I, I really like that idea. I guess I'm going to ask the staff to figure out if that is possible um that if we do separate those two funds and they're not competing can we have people stay on and i don't need an answer now but maybe by next month we could you guys could talk to the city attorney and, and figure out if that is something that we can do because prior to now i mean we haven't been able to do that obviously Are there any other comments, questions? Okay, moving on to item D, other new business. We don't have any other new business unless someone has something to bring up. Okay, Rebecca. Last month, um, the sexual violence prevention group sent us a really great letter on some issues um, regarding, again, opening 
possible ordinance or policy. And I know there's a continued debate on whether we can do that legally, but there was several good suggestions on some some policy work on trying to, um, you know, make allow for access to vouchers for landlords to have to accept them or even some other ideas that were listed and I don't have it in front of me but I think we should look at that letter written to us by the sexual violence prevention housing committee Um, and I will say I am on that committee and several of us are so I want to be clear about that but that I there's some really good um, discussion and research going on with that that I think they would love for us to look at and maybe take to the next level as the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. Um, so I know there's still some more discussion on those or what what makes the most sense of that, but we kind of didn't, we accepted that letter and then we didn't really talk about that. So I would like to suggest to put that on a upcoming agenda as well. This month, you soak up chair. I think we can do that. I don't know any reason we can't. Um, you, uh, go ahead, Erica. Are you going to ask for anything else? I have something yeah, sure. related to that. Well, <laughs> I, w- I was, I was just a little surprised to. Um, not see on the agenda just a kind of a debrief from our meeting last last month with the planning commission um but i just kind of similar to what rebecca was saying they also talked about um you know what i what i kept hearing was bring something to us bring something to us and that just kind of motivated me and um um to again, just bring up the discussion of policy and zoning and codes and inclusionary zoning was thrown out. And I know we wrote a letter asking for some support on that. But like Rebecca, I would just like maybe not now because there's a lot of things that we're working, but um, maybe in a couple months, I'll bring this back up again, just to put some of those big policy issues on our agenda so we can have those conversations and take something to the planning commission like they kept asking. Okay, Smonty, soak up chair. Thank you, Erica. Rebecca has her hand up here. I just wanted to mention one thing, The and I'm not sure, um, just to announce that I know the Board of Realtors and the Lawrence Home Builders Association, which have presented some things to us, and I know uh, the Lawrence Home Builders Association had a letter um, in last month's meeting as well that we really didn't address, um, but that they are having a study session next week on May 18th with um, the city commission. So, um, you know, I think there's some overlap in things that this board certainly agrees with on the need for affordable housing and policy change. There's certainly some issues of complete deregulation that are often suggested that I'm not sure that we do agree with. But again, it's a discussion happening that I think we have to have a part in. Um, I will be present. They did re- request a presentation on affordable housing and and trying to be fair 
um, on that. So I'm going to speak to a little bit of the real estate realities to home ownership, affordable home ownership housing, which again kind of opens up other rental housing and and lets people move out of subsidized housing and build wealth, which is a, a an equity issue that I am familiar with. Again, want to speak, stay in my silo, but. But again, there may be options to be present at that study session, too, and talk to, you know, all of the ways that this group and this our work is trying to address um, affordable housing. Um, and I guess I strongly support uh, some of the supply, you know, some of the regulations that many say are stopping an expanse of supply, but those that are really forcing people to have discussions on how do we integrate affordable units in new development. And so I hate for that to that discussion to be taken out of of the realm, you know, with this with this idea of we can't um, we can't control, we, we need to let supply have free reign or make as much supply as possible. I, I would also argue that we can create some supply in affordable housing with our funding sources and with the building capacity um, in the affordable housing sector, whatever that may look like. So um, there's a lot of good discussion going on. I just wanted to announce that to everyone here. And if anyone's interested in, in presenting or talking more, please let me know. Okay, Monty Sokup, Chair, can we have uh, Annie or Leah, could you send that meeting date information out to this board so that we can, uh, or is it on the web, city website? This is Danny Walters. We, we'll find the information. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And then Dana had her hand up. Yeah, thank you. Just to, just to follow up with what Erica and Rebecca both were saying. Um, there's a lot of good discussions, and if we can figure out ways that we can really impact the broader view of building affordable housing, simply the double density initiative that Tenants to Homeowners was really instrumental in helping has opened up a view for funding sources for me personally by applying for grants where we could do a property flip and perhaps qualify for another affordable unit that is not related directly to the Ahab group, but because of a new policy and an opening up, it widens the, the work of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. Um, so I think that the more we can spend time on those kinds of front end issues, the more creatively we'll have more affordable housing options in our community. Thank you, uh, Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. <laughs> Mr. Chair, go ahead. Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. I just wanted to mention because um, the the topic of um, of regulation had come up, um, and also the the upcoming um, work session that will deal with housing, you know, more broadly. Um, one of the things that we shared with the commission is um, is our desire to relook at the city's development code. 
um, with an eye toward affordable housing and also, you know, other issues. Um, our, our, our code is uh, fairly complicated and um, um, we see a lot of benefit in relooking at the code and doing an, um, you know, kind of an overhaul really of the code uh, with an eye toward various policy goals, but one of them being the affordable housing issue. So um, we um, will be moving forward with um, looking at the code and um, um, certainly keep you all and other stakeholders apprised. There's a lot of stakeholders that are going to be involved in those discussions. Um, but as that, um, as that proceeds, uh, there'll be, I think, a lot of opportunity for us to look at um, maybe how, how do we see our development code and zoning uh, differently if we want to achieve certain policy goals with our regulation that we have at the city. This is Christina Gentry. Monty, I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. I just wanted, if we're doing shout outs and we're doing um, uh, upcoming events and giving a little bit of, of a notice on something coming up in our community. Um, Christina Gentry, subsidized housing rep. I was able to attend a uh, Lawrence Community Shelter meeting called Good Neighbor. Um, and so the update on that would be the um, 515, which is this Friday, would be a dedication to the Monarch Village. The Monarch Village homes were the um, small um, com compact homes that were um, as a result of our talks, you know, a little bit of subsidized funding went to support this effort. Uh, so this, fifth, this 15th of May, they will be um, hosting a tour from 12 to 3 p.m. And so uh, this is, you know, it, it kind of falls in line with a lot of what Dana was talking about, but front end work and um, provides supports for rental housing and for families and individuals in a way that uh, we're seeing how this is done actionably and immediately. So I just wanted to put that on you guys' radar in case you're interested. Monty Sokup Chair, thank you, Christina. I, I saw Dana had a thumbs up on that. So thanks for letting us know about that event. Uh, hopefully some of us can attend and, and see that. Mr. Chair. Yes. This is Leah Rosalind, uh, okay. housing administrator. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't losing um, anything in everyone's discussion. So, I have um, for the next month and for the upcoming agenda items to go back to the Sexual Violence Prevention Housing Subcommittee public comment letter and take a look at some of those recommendations that were made. Um, and then to also perhaps have some more discussion or some study sessions regarding other policy items um, that may be discussed in the study or work session with the commission. Um, some of the development, uh, city development code zoning and regulation items. Is that, am I hearing that correctly from the board? This is Monty Sotop Chair. I think, I think so. I think what I pulled out of that is, you know, maybe we need to have some kind of work session where we determine what policies, you know, we look at these policies that people are presenting and we determine what we want to, what we think are good ones to push forward and make recommendations or advisory letters or whatever that would be to the commission so that we're taking some action on those things that we want to see promoted is that fair 
Anything else on new business or reports or updates? Okay, seeing none, I'm gonna close new business. The next item on our agenda is the calendar. So next month we're looking at the NOFA timeline and the application matrix. I think we'll have that discussion that Shannon requested about whether we can create separate pots of funding so that we can have uh, people participate you know, in parts of discussions. Um, anything else on that meeting? And then July 12th and August 9th are the following meetings after that. And I think with that, it includes, concludes our agenda for today. Um, do we need a motion or anything to end the meeting? I can never remember. I'm sorry. This is Danny Walters with Planning Development Services. Yes. If, okay. if you could do I a would, formal motion, that'd be great. I would accept a uh, uh, motion to uh, adjourn. Mr. Chairman, uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative, I move we adjourn. Okay. I have a second. Second. Okay, Shannon seconds. Is there any discussion? Seeing that, I'll call the roll. Christina Gentry? Yes. Rebecca Buford? Yes. Shannon Ori? Yes. Ron Gacious? Yes. Sarah Waters? Sorry, yes. <laughs> Erica Zimmerman? Yes. Thomas Howe? Yes. Dana Ortiz? Yes. Monty Soka, yes. Uh, motion passes nine zero. So we're adjourned. Thank you guys. Looks like I had a busy week. Yes, it will be. All right, thanks.